ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Uh, this is episode number 14. Intro uh, number two. Intro number two. Somebody forgot to push the button. You know, uh, it's not the first time that's happened. I think it's the first time it's happened on this podcast, but I have uh, I have had professional experience for getting to record things previously. Yeah, so. I remember that. Yeah, I remember. That, was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so, Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> well, um, now that we're recording, I'll try to say the same thing I said last time, but faster. Uh I'm tired. I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs) And you would think that sitting in a house all day on a computer kind of, I mean, like my job is not super stressful right now. Like for the most part, it's a lot of just email, right? I'm just emailing customers to see how they're doing, trying to get updates on what, you know, any, any forecast changes for what they're going to be purchasing for the year or any updates in terms of what their company's doing in response to, COVID-19 and everything. Um, but it is one of those things where over time, I think it starts to build up and you just kind of like you get into that routine of being home and it gets easy to forget to do some of the little things like stop and eat lunch or <laughs> right get out of the house for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, go for a walk. Like, and I found, I think like Sunday, um, we were laying around and I just was like, not like I wanted to work on some projects and I just did not have that energy and I was going to take a nap. And then I was like, you know what, instead I should just get up and go for a walk and see if that makes me feel better. And so me and Helena and Ambrose got up and went for a little walk and I came back and was like rejuvenated, you know, it was like, I had way more energy. Would you like to say hello, Helena? Mm -hmm. Come on in. Hello. Hi, how are you? He says, hi, how are you? Good. Good. I'll trade you headphones so you can hear. These aren't really headphones. Yeah, those are pink earmuffs. <laughs> How are you doing, Helena? Good. <laughs> your dad looks pretty cool in your headphones, huh? Uh huh. <laughs> I have two sets of them. One's yep. like stripes that he's wearing. One's like only like a gray cat or black. We don't know if it's a gray <laughs> cat or black because it kind of looks like a gray cat. Wow. Wow. That sounds fun. How's school going? Good. Yeah? What'd you learn today? Or what are you learning today? Um, first we're doing math. Okay. Okay. That's pretty fun. So, anything you want to talk about? Um, I really like the piano. <laughs> <laughs> right, do you need something? Um, I just wanted a snack. Okay, you can have one more snack, but then you need to finish your math activity, okay? <laughs> okay. Try to do my um, 
kid Salad from earlier. <laughs> yeah, it only gets better, dude. Uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> so, how are you doing? I'm doing. I'm okay. Um, a lot of the same stuff, you know. Just trying to adjust, and like Sunday, I try not to work on anything. Um, I'm still wired to be a workaholic. So the problem I've always had from working from home is I can't separate the two. Um, I do have my office, but I, you know, I separate my computers. One doesn't have certain stuff on it. I have a tablet that's only for books because if I let myself, I'll just work all day. So, um, but I'm doing okay. Let's well, do <laughs> It's time for politics. Um, yeah, fun fact though. Uh, I, it was interesting that I found out that 84% of individual investors in the stock market are they all, there's only 10% of the United States that actually you know comprises that basically. So 10% of the nation's population controls 84% of the shares of public stock in, yeah. the, in the com country's companies and countries. Yeah. So, you know, obviously. Yep. And the rest are in solution institutionalized investors of, you know, hedge fund, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm sure their, their share of the ownership is a lot greater than the individuals, but fun fact, um, just in case people keep hearing the stupid, uh, argument oh the economy's tanking now that's just an indicator and well, that indicator doesn't concern you <laughs> you notice that there was what the, the congress and trump worked so hard to pass that two trillion dollar stimulus bill right 2.3 trillion excuse yeah. me 2.3 trillion you're right i cannot exclude 300 million dollars uh <laughs> wait trillions a billion dollars 300 billion dollars jesus um <laughs> But they do that, and it's like, I mean, basically nobody, no individuals, right, are getting any of that money right now. The only real reason that was done was to boost the stock market. And so whose pockets ultimately are they enriching while doing that, right? At 10%. Yep. Shocking. Not really. No, not no. in the least bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same, like... And this is, I think, again, right? Like we've talked about, you know, I'm, I dabble in my conspiracy theories here and there, but I can't help but feel like in some way, shape or form, the president and or his family and or his friends have found a way to profit off of this. And uh, some of his response is directed at allowing those profits to either be greater than they need to be i just i mean ultimately i feel like there's a whole lot of you know well some people are gonna die and there's nothing we can do about that and if we have to let more people die so that we can get the economy back up and running that's what we're gonna have to do and i don't 
and, and it's not just from him. I mean, I'm seeing there's, you know, but you have to stay off social media. Comments, well, that's right? what I was just going to say is that ultimately I'm, I've, I think that's probably part of what is uh, exhausting me here lately as I've been spending probably way too much time on social media, diving yeah. down uh, political K holes, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I keep finding myself, I'll check Twitter because it used to be funny to me, but I had other distractions. And like when you watch the news now, it's the same thing, whether it's local or national news, it's, it's a lot of the same coverage, you know? Um, before I forget, I want to say that the, that mainstream media is and can be part of the problem. So, for example, a few episodes back, we were, when we started talking about COVID-19, I mentioned the flu. Mm -hmm. And I heard that, and I think I heard it from a doctor in NPR, and I kind of paraphrased what they said. Yeah. Well, it they have a, a bigger responsibility than what they 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 lead to have or they tend to lead or you know, display. And I, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I heard that on NPR. I, you know, kind of, you know, just in, in passing me the comment, but when you go back to social media, you just, see, you see a bunch of these flyby statements or flyby articles and it's, yeah. you know, people are actually absorbing that crap into their head. And well, and taking, taking one small, you know, fact or one snippet of, you know, data out of a larger piece of context, right? And just holding on to that and being like, well, I read this, so it must right. be true, right? And that's that's the thing that I've always, I guess, that I don't really understand because I think you and I, you know, we certainly have our beliefs, right? And I think some, some are more entrenched, right, than others. But right. ultimately, you know, we're not the kind of people that are going to read something. And then when somebody else whose opinion, you know, we value, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, says something contrary to it or says, like, I don't think that's right. You know, we don't go, well, you know, F you, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Fake news. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's where I just, that, that response. And that's what I just keep seeing over and over again on social media and especially Twitter. I mean, Twitter is, I think probably the worst place for that kind of stuff in large part because so many of those conversations are done publicly, you know, and so much of your feed right. is a, is a public feed. And so um, it's easy. And a lot of it is bots too, right? Like people write <laughs> software to create bots to post stuff just so that they can do whatever. I don't even understand exactly why it is that they do that, but um <laughs> But it is like, it's and, it, and it's, it's again, right. It's one thing where it doesn't matter which side you start on. Ultimately you get the same exact rhetoric from people on both sides of the argument, right? You've got the, you know, conservatives, you know, calling them libtards and, you know, all, all this other stuff. And you've got, you know, well, you're just a racist on the other side and, you know, and it's like, I think we've talked about it before. I just, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why people are so quick to want to hate each other. Uh, yeah. I don't know because, um, I mean, I admit it that I really, and I never feel this way majority of the time, but I hate Donald Trump. Like I really do. And I hate to, and I really feel bad that I feel that way. And I, I try to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but I really hate the guy. 
Um, yeah, like, I mean, I, and that's kind of where I'm at too. It's like the the longer because uh, I was this I, uh, right off the bat, I was not a fan. You know, like when when he got elected, I was concerned. I think I talked about that. I thought it was the end end of the world. Um, now it looks like maybe it was, but. <laughs> <laughs> But it's there. There was a point where I tried to do what you said, right? To give him the benefit of benefit of the doubt as much as possible. To to try and give him an opportunity to to what I guess you know do the right things, right? Right. Um, and I think just time after time, when presented with those opportunities, at least in my opinion. He has failed to do the right thing. Um, and the hardest thing, the, the hardest thing for me to stomach is that I really understand that my politics may not be even if I align myself. With the, my politics may not be aligned with the person that's in office, regardless of party. Yeah. But I try to make sure I respect the office more so than the person and with with donald trump it's just it's just oh i i just don't get <laughs> we were doing so good for a while there and then all of a sudden it just like yeah. yeah you know and i think um one thing that i would imagine probably bothers you much like it bothers me is his need for praise you know like and his his constant quest for admiration and you know why why won't people just tell me what a good job i've done i know i've done such a good job why won't people just tell me that and it's like if you really did that good of a job and you cared about doing the right thing it wouldn't matter whether or not people gave you credit for it you know, ultimately, it's not about you as an individual. You should be in that position right. because you want to make people's lives better. And if that's what you focus on and you do, then ultimately, that's what would happen. People would give you credit for that. But you can't you can't take stuff away from the people that need it and then say that you are doing the opposite and then get mad when people are like, but that's not true, you know? But, I mean, that's just... His whole it's his whole shtick, right? And I think that's you know one of the interesting things I think, and I you hear it, I've heard it a lot on the news channels and stuff is it's you know like this, well the the pandemic doesn't understand the art of the deal, right? You can't you can't bully a virus, you can't um, you know intimidate it, you can't feed it misinformation that ultimately like the virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. Um, and I think to some degree it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because he's in terms of the way that he's trying to manage this situation, he's doing it the exact same way. I know we talk we talk about this a lot. There's you know, there's always is what it is, but you know, what social media could do for people and what it's actually accomplishing are two different things. Um, and I can, you know, I get frustrated with it. I, I can't imagine that other people don't. So um, I just try to wean myself off of it. If there's something funny, I may retweet it and then I'm gone. 
Yeah, you know, it's one of those things for me where I think I have a tendency, especially if like I start join if I join like a new social media platform where I'll add a bunch of accounts or like this always happens on Instagram and I know that this is the way that Instagram is set up is that people will send you something in a chat from an account that's private, which means you can't see it. So then you have to submit a request to follow that person in order to see it. And so it's this whole cycle of just getting people to follow each other. And so if you have a private account, you're more likely to get people to follow, blah, 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 blah. Well, then I end up with an Instagram feed that is nothing but these garbage like meme accounts because people keep sending me stuff from different private accounts. And then yesterday I'm scrolling through and literally every single one of those meme accounts is posting the exact same thing. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I went through and unfollowed all of them. And so it's like I have to have a purge or a cleansing every so often of the accounts that I'm following. Yeah, I I don't rock with Instagram like that. I don't know if I deleted my account, but... No, you didn't because I try to send you stuff I, all I the time. I think I probably did. <laughs> okay. You probably have like 20 unread messages right. from me in Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I had uh, this past week, we ordered the Impossible Burger from Red Robin. It was actually pretty good. Yeah. It, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> like it's like I have dreams about it. So, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've been kind of going back and forth. I think when we first got into, you know, this, this shelter at home or the quarantine kind of situation, we were doing a lot of cooking. Um and I think I kind of got maybe a little burnt out on the cooking. And so we've been doing a little more ordering uh, uh, delivery lately. And I keep telling myself it's to support the local restaurants and the economy. But really, it's just because I don't want to cook anymore. Um, and we try. So we've been trying some new spots just to see, you know, because we had a few that we would eat at regularly. Um And we found there's a place called Diced around here that does like salads and bowls and wraps. And the first time that we had it, they were absolutely fantastic. Um, we, the second time right. was not quite as good. I think maybe different crew was working or something. But uh, I'll definitely be giving be giving that a shot. But it's nice because I I feel like you know you're starting to see more and more places um, offer vegan options, if nothing else. Um, so it you know give you a little bit more choice. Yeah, I I know that you mentioned that the vegan community kitchen was with postmates and i couldn't get them <laughs> so Sad. yeah was it was really weird wanted. we only got them delivered once um every time that i would check it kept saying there were no postmates nearby at the vegan community kitchen and then i think they took themselves off because of the whole quarantine thing and they've been doing um you can order online and then just pick up at the at the restaurant i might do that for dinner tonight um i really love that place yeah it is it is fantastic. Um Yeah. I had their vegan lasagna the last time that we uh ordered from there, which was pretty good. It was one of the specials that they had that day. You know me, I'm a specials guy. I'm not one of them basic bitches. <laughs> I think I get the same thing every time. Their burger is just so freaking good. Yeah, because you're I, a basic bitch. I, can't. <laughs> I bet you go get your pumpkin spice latte the first day it's available too, don't you? Nah, you know I'm not even rocking with that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a thing. 
Um, the other thing that I've been getting into during the quarantine food related is trying to do some more um, bread baking because I've, I've always just kind of wanted to figure out how to be like a not, like not a baker, but just like I've wanted to do more baking because it's always seems kind of like a science experiment that you can eat. Um, but I've struggled in the past to create yeah. like, you know, consistent dough. Um, but I, I made a couple of different focaccia i don't even i'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that but um focaccia loaves the last couple of weeks that were pretty darn fantastic um and so i've been a little little more encouraged with that i think i'm going to try making some ciabatta uh and maybe some french baguettes or something like that but um it's uh you know it's fun like helen has been helping me out you know kneading the dough and mixing everything together so it's a it's a fun right father-daughter activity we can do together yeah cherish those times man cherish those times <laughs> it won't last forever yeah Pop culture. have you watched any movies anything interesting on tv um oh you know what we did start watching um watched the first few episodes the last og with tracy jordan um it's a TV. morgan uh, yeah tracy morgan uh, tracy jordan from oh that's the first time ever put that on your calendar folks andre just corrected chris on a television like personality but you know why i call him tracy jordan right because he was on community right well he's on 30 rock and that was his character's rock, name yeah. there tracy jordan instead of tracy morgan so but yeah tracy morgan um it's a it's an interesting show like you know i think typically with tracy morgan i always just expect it to be very kind of over the top you know almost right. slapstick-esque comedy um and there's definitely a little bit more kind of thought i think that was put into it cedric the entertainer uh has a has a role kind of like a supporting role on their show that and he's pretty fantastic too uh and then tiffany haddish um is in is in it and she's she's pretty great so i would recommend that uh i've watched the first three or four episodes and and really liked it um and got into that the other one that we started watching was um because you know hulu's got the deal with hbo now where you can watch some of their stuff on there for free and so we watched we started watching the first couple episodes of barry uh the bill Hader show on hbo where he's like the um you know assassin who doesn't want to be an assassin anymore that one's pretty hilarious as well yeah, I've always kind of been tempted to watch that. I just didn't know if I wanted to. I know it used to come on after Game of Thrones, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I saw that Tiger King crap on Netflix. Yeah. Gosh, what a what a wreck! <laughs> it was just. <laughs> That's a very appropriate way to put that. I think it's a uh, very accurate. It's. I mean, it's. But like I was saying, right? Like it's just kind of. It's amazing how incredibly insane almost every single one of those people are. Dude, the Jeff Lowe dude, yeah. I was like, that dude's a freaking scumbag. Guy, he's wearing an Oakley hat. <laughs> yeah, with a bandana on underneath it. Yeah, holy like boy band, like let it go, dude. <sighs> like, and his whole was, like, you know, like his, uh, his, because what is his wife got pregnant? And she had the kid, and in the and they were interviewing, asking him, "So, what are you guys going to do next?" And he's like, "Well, she's going to get back in the gym." 
and we're, we're getting a nanny. a nanny and I get to pick the one, the nanny. Cause I'm going to be banging her all the time. And I was just like, what, like oh. what would attract you to that person? That's the thing that I just, I, has always mystified me is it's like, if you were a woman, like why would you ever want to be with that? You know, <laughs> what, is, what, what yeah. is the appeal? Yeah. That show, like I, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it all in. I, I just felt kind of dirty watching it. I was like, ah, ugh. Oh, no, 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 no more, no more. It was just craziness, man. Just a, a pile of a hot mess of crazy. Well, um, and I think, you know, the other part of it that's kind of depressing is that, like, ultimately, what I think really gets downplayed is the treatment of the animals, you know, and like, they're the ones who are who are really suffering through all of this, right? Regardless of who or which which area they're in, I think. Um, and you know, yeah, part of that is the bleeding heart liberal in me, I guess, or the, you know, uh, plant-based vegan diet guy. Um, but I just, you know, there's, I, sir, I, I, as a kid was always fascinated by tigers. Um, and like, you know, it's funny though, like you don't see any brothers or sisters like, yeah, I want to pet a tiger. We're just, we're just not doing that. Didn't uh, didn't Mike Tyson have a tiger? Yeah, but but it's Mike on. Tyson. I mean, he doesn't really care. Yeah. And and, and uh, Shaquille O'Neal, they just want those extra things for that well, that club. Yeah, that is that is Shaquille O'Neal for sure. <laughs> but it wasn't like you didn't. See, I was just like, nah, man. How are they? Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to pet a tiger. I'm good. <laughs> I, I mean, like, yeah, because there is there's that part of me sure would love to pet a tiger if there was like that guarantee you know that like nothing bad was going to happen yeah that would be super cool but that doesn't exist and therefore it's not something where i'm like well it would be worth getting eaten alive by a tiger just to have had the opportunity to touch it like okay then why don't you just go where the tigers are and let them eat you like what's Yeah, I'm not wired that way, bro. I'm like, I'm gonna let a tiger be a tiger because tigers eat people. Yeah. Uh, like Shorty got her arm bitten off. I'm like, yo, <laughs> like I would get a new job. Why why are we going back to work at the same place where we lose appendages? Well, and that was I mean, that was another thing, at least that got talked about at one point on the show, was that part of, you know, at least like Joe exotic, right. The, the, the tiger King, part of his whole deal was that he found people that essentially had no other option, you know, and gave them just enough to make them feel like, you know, he cared about them, but ultimately was just using all of those people to his benefit, you know, like $117 a week. Yo. Yeah. (laughs) Yo. But I'm saying, like, these are people that had literally nothing, right? Or or in the case of his husbands, from what we've heard, right? Like, he found guys that were addicted to meth and was like, hey, you want some meth? Cool, I'll give you all the meth you want and some fun toys if you, you know, marry me and let me do stuff to you. But it's just like... <laughs> nah, hard pass. <laughs> yeah. Nah, V, like, nothing. I was like, yo. And the more they went down that tunnel, I was like, come on, bro. Like, you're doing what for meth? 
not. Well, I know, like, it, you know, his first husband. Like, you just. <laughs> I mean, tigers and meth, man. Uh, you know, it's like uh, America and apple pie. Nah, hard pass. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Coronavirus update. Corporate culture. I mean, if that's what an empl- if that's your employer, you're screwed. Baseball, literally. But it's just a bad scene. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, there's lots of places with lots of uh, interesting corporate cultures, and I think. You know, that's something you kind of that I think is interesting right now, right? Like seeing the different responses from different companies in the midst of everything that's going on right now. Um, you look at what happened at Smithfield, right, in South Dakota, and I couldn't believe that, where they had 300, almost 300 employees at the same factory that were all confirmed cases of COVID-19. And that's when they finally went and shut the place down. And like, I, you know, to some degree, I understand the need for the, you know, um, product pipeline to continue. But, you know, again, right. I think to some degree, it all comes back to like, at what cost are we, putting these, you know, or, or what is really the ultimate benefit of putting all of these people's lives at risk? Um, yeah, I, um, I, I think that companies that do a crappy job in general should be shuttered. (laughs) Um, it's just, it's like the, the guy that went, was on CNBC that said that these large companies don't need a bailout. I agree a hundred percent. They should all fail. Um, and please don't get it twisted. I am a free market capitalist guy. Well, but, but that's I, the whole point, right? Is that like in a free market in, in a purely capitalist market, the, it doesn't matter how large you are. If you yeah. are not providing a good product to the market, then you're going to fail. And I think, you know, I mean, we see that time and time again here in the United States where you know, stimulus or whatever, you know, tax benefits are awarded to specific industries in order to prop them up because without those, they're not profitable. And it's just yeah. like, well, at, at what point do you look at them and go, well, how have you not figured out, you know, how to make money off of this ultimately? <laughs> that's, that's the most like pristine way I've heard of that. So you've not figured out how to make money off of your company. I mean, isn't that the point, right? I mean, it, it used to be, and but I think that's part of it is that, you know, that's for a lot of people, that's not necessarily the point to make money. A lot of them, it's like, well, we want, you know, things to more or less break even for, you know, whatever purpose. I just, I, I don't yeah, Grubhub has got this crappy uh, marketing campaign where they're supposedly, you know, supporting their members or mm-hmm. the member restaurants. And I'm like, that just feels dirty, you know, because up until I believe the end of last week or the end of or beginning of this week, they were still charging the same commission. Sure. I'm like, you're, you're raping these, these companies like right now. Like I get it. Like I, I, I get your desire to stay in business and to pivot, but do it the right way. You know, yeah. if, 
it's do you feed the golden ooze or do you just keep you know getting all the eggs out of it until and not taking care of the goose um well and i think that's part of what we're seeing right now in terms of the federal government's response to this you know is that let's be honest right when when donald trump was elected part of his goal was to dismantle all of the different parts of government that he didn't really like or feel were effective and unfortunately a lot of those parts that got dismantled over the last four years are kind of things that we need right now (laughs) or that would have been very helpful in the lead up to this and you know, there's certainly no, I mean, we all know that he's not going to take any responsibility for anything that happens here. He, he said that like four times. Yeah. I don't take responsibility. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I hope the companies that, I mean, I know companies are laying people off They're you know, people are getting furloughed all over the place, Yeah, but I hope they fail. I, I really do. Um, and I, I had a conversation with another buddy of mine who's a small business owner and Again, I get flagged for being a conservative. And it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, the common sense approach to business will outlast situations like this. And the examples I use were companies like there's a guy in, uh, he's in Maryland or DC, owns 14 bike shops. And he was able to keep all of his employees, you know, like on staff. He didn't lay anybody off, didn't furlough anybody. Right. And uh, he took advantage of the SBA loans to keep his employees employed. There's a talk of a, a bar tent, a bar owner, and I want to say in the Pennsylvania area mm-hmm. that would collect like huge or outrageous or notable tips, like three thousand seven hundred fourteen dollars. She took it off the wall and gave it to her employees so that that way they would, you know, she could help them. Yeah. So I think the common sense approach to business is you're you want to be in business. You have people that are you're kind of responsible for. I wouldn't say wholly, but if you value that employee, what are you going to do to make sure that you're trying to block them from any like negative effects by being associated with your company and show that you really care about them? And I think that when you take, you know, this is where I struggle. When you try to overregulate, when you try to beat companies down with rules, you make people like them less motivated to do the right thing. And I'd rather hear the good stories of people that have figured it out, you know, how to be good stewards of, of what they're fortunate to have. Um, so I'm conflicted, you know, I don't hate government. I just haven't seen government work very well in a lot of instances. Well, and Uh, I think that's another kind of interesting thing that I've seen, you know, coming out just, uh, I guess, an opinion or, um, you know, kind of a take on what's going on right now that people essentially taking what's happened and the response of the federal government and all of the issues that have occurred there as proof that big government or government in general is bad. Right. Right. And I think kind of back to what I said earlier, like, well, part of the reason that everything has been so inept is a, the actual person in charge of all this, right. Or people, um, there is no real leadership. Right. Anywhere in this administration, all of it that may have existed at any point previously either got fired or left of their own accord because they realized that there was no point. And which is sad because at the same time, it's like, well, you just, you just gave up. Like you just basically said, well, the rest of you are screwed now because there's nothing I can do. I don't want to do this anymore. 
Um, but you know, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm being, you know, I don't think that I read an interesting article last week and it kind of encapsulate what you're saying. We don't know, like, I don't know to what extent government involvement in certain areas is, is where that, you know, levels things out to where it's beneficial to the citizens. I also don't necessarily agree that we should get rid of all, all of, get rid of all government. I think it should be efficient and effective. And that's, that's my only desire. So if it's a large government, but it's a, you know, efficient and effective and there's actually a benefit. Okay. That works for me. But if it's just bureaucracy, just to have it, that's stupid. It shows no, um, it, it shows no, any merit to me then. Um, like I'm not a big fan of the SEC. I'm not a big fan of the FCC. There, there are departments and pieces of the government where it's like, you, you guys are useless. Well, and I guess like it, what's interesting is that, you know, because I feel like primarily, right, that talking point has come from a conservative, right, standpoint, because, you know, in most cases, right, conservatives want smaller government or less government in general. Um, I think to some degree, the Republican Party recently has kind of adopted more of a all government is bad government, which is interesting because, you know, it's basically like, hey, the government's bad. And doesn't work. Elect me, and I'll prove it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's kind of that exactly how Donald Trump got elected, right? Was like the government's inefficient. It's not well run. I'm gonna go fix it. But government's bad. Like bad government, unless I'm in charge of it, right? Then it's okay. But even then, now it's like, well, the government's still bad. It's just I'm the only good part of it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, we talked about it earlier. It's, it's really hard not to get kind of, I mean, have an emotional response after a while to the same just garbage that you hear over and over again. And I think the thing that, that we talked about this several episodes ago, and I think it's it I almost feel like this pandemic and everything that's happened is starting to make this more and more clear to me that there is a lack of care in general for other people and their well-being. And I think we maybe as a society or just, you know, as a growing portion of the population have gotten to a point where we're willing to or or able to separate, you know, another person's life from ours in the sense that like, well, it doesn't matter what happens to them as long as I have what I need and I'm okay. Um, and that's where I, I get really frustrated with a lot of the push back to get like, you know, we need to reopen the country. We need to get back. Yeah. Some people are going to get sick. Yeah. Some people are going to die. That's just what's going to happen. We have to be willing to live with that. And I just, I don't know how anybody can justify for any reason, you know, sacrificing somebody else's life. Right. And whether it's for millions of dollars in, you know, quote unquote, the economy, really the stock market. Um, it's just, I, there's nothing in my mind that, that is of equal value to somebody's life in that regard. Right. So how you can sit there and make the argument that it's okay if people die or, you know, 
that just I I I can't I can't put those two two things together. Chris, my plea is that people have a long memory, um, because if not, then, and you're right, we have talked about this before. Where you know, even in our protected Disney World bubble, we are exposed to the elements right now, um, and if we don't have a long memory of and think about what happened, how could we have prevented it? You know, it, we're not protected from this virus, unfortunately. We're like people could die. Um, but for example, I mentioned before, like I, I was pissed off at Wake County for not continuing school. And I didn't understand why they, you know, they delayed getting kids back in school, like in some, not physically, but virtually. Right. But I forgot that there are kids that don't have food. I forgot. I wasn't thinking about kids that didn't have computers. So even in the richest county in the state, I mean, we're not, obli- I mean, we, we can become oblivious to our, our, our fellow man's issues. We can, we can, so it's very true. And even, once I realized that, once I recognized that I'm like, Oh crap, I'm, I've got that Disney world, you know, mentality. And I have to be, you know, have to step outside of my situation and understand there are other people involved in this. And it's not about what, you know, I'm afforded and what, what my demands and what I want. Um, it doesn't go away, man. Uh, and I, you're right. We've talked about it. <laughs> And the fragility of our economy, the fragility of our infrastructure, the fragility of our a lot of things are just being exposed during this pandemic. Um, and and I'm with you in that you know, people better have a long memory, right? Because there are there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that need to be voted out of office, and we needed to find some new people to put into office. Um, and I think that, you know, at all levels, but I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about focusing at the, at the local level. And I think, you know, you see that right now, right. That in a lot of the, the local, even at the town level, maybe, maybe, or, you know, the county definitely where you see, you know, some people are just like, no, screw that. We're like, we're going to do what we think needs to be done. And maybe it's, you know, it's a little bit of an overreaction, but we'd, we'd rather overreact than underreact to the current situation. Um, and so I think ultimately we just, we need better leadership kind of throughout. The thing that shouldn't get lost is everybody should have, uh, I saw something on the news yesterday, uh, open, reopen wake or something like that. Some new nonprofit because people are not, you know, whether it's small business owners or a political arm, I don't really know or care. I, I think people's voices should be heard. I, but I, what I, I'm concerned about is the fact that it doesn't appear that people are thinking about the long-term play. If we, end, like we probably can't end up like New York city because that city has the amount of people that live in the state, right. but we don't have the infrastructure to take care of our rural counties or, our rural cities as, as much as we'd like to believe we do. Um, my concern is that, you know, yeah, people's, people's voices should be heard and we should balance out that need and that concern with the next steps. And it's not, let's get louder so we can influence people to get afraid of us. One thing I heard that uh, kind of freaks me out about this entire thing was, um, there's a lot AOC and Bernie Sanders are getting like attacked by progressives 
right now, which is kind of kind of kind of ironic. But this one guy was talking about these people need to fear the power you have. And I'm like, what what do you mean? Like, why are you saying like they shouldn't have voted for the stimulus bill and they should have been, you know, they should have brought up fear like the, the Tea Party did with the Republicans. I'm like, so we're going to use fear tactics. That's that's the approach that progressives, you know, th- these particular progressives want to take. It's not about fear. It's about trying to influence a, an outcome that's realistic and reasonable for the people they represent. And if you're if you're saying the people that you represent want to inspire fear with people, then you're you're in the wrong place altogether, you know. Um, and I don't I don't think that you know getting people fear an outcome is the right approach to get people to actually do something different or to change or to look for positive outcomes for everybody involved. Um, so I, I think that that is becoming more and more prevalent when you look at social media, when you look at the media, when you look at just what people are doing right now with COVID-19 and just scare, it scares the hell out of me. If I'm being honest, um, we should be very, we should look for common sense and science measures to help us to figure out what do we do next? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you, I just feel like, right. There's, there are plenty of examples of other countries where they have responded differently. Right. Um, I feel like there's enough examples out there to look at it and go, okay, government itself is not, does not equal bad, right? There's good government that is efficiently run and is able to respond when necessary without bogging down everything else the rest of the time. Right. And we just, that's simply something that we are not, that we currently don't have here in this country. Yeah. But, and I don't want to blame it all on the uh, Trump administration because that's not really the case, but I think he's definitely, I think it's definitely been polarized that people are on two different sides of the, of the field. Well, and I think, I really think, uh, you know, because we talked about this with Bernie Sanders, right? Your plan can't be to go in and destroy everything and then walk away and say, see, I fixed it. And that from the get go has been, was, was part of my concern with Trump's plan, right? Because it seemed very much like, I'm going to go in and dismantle these things and tear apart, you know, all of these, you know, defunct or, um, you know, inefficient government agencies by putting people in place who, who 100% disagree with the whole reason that those agencies were created to begin with. And what you end up with is just this massive chaos inside. And then you end up in a situation like this right now where you need those people to be able to respond to something like this and you no longer have them because you got rid of them or you, you, you know, and so I think while it's certainly not, you can't put all of the blame for the inefficiency, right? Because this has been a a growing problem for years. It was certainly made worse. I think by the actions of the last four years, you know what I mean? You look at like the number of appointees, that he still hasn't put in place. Um, the fact that, that, you know, a president selects over like, what is it? 2000 or something like that, different political appointees for different offices. So every potentially every four at, at, at the least every eight years, 
those jobs are changing hands. And in most cases, moving to somebody who has absolutely no experience in that specific field or that specific department. And I mean, we talk about inefficiency, right? It's like you have to start over every eight years in every federal agency. What on what planet does that make sense? Well, it tells you like what the the managerial experience is of whoever may be in that office, right? So, well, and then I think any- I mean, if if you're such a bad leader that you have to have only your own people that you selected in place to be able to get done what you need to get done, then you shouldn't be a freaking president to begin with. Yeah, dude, Trump is uh, President Trump is a terrible business person and terrible leader. Um, I, I told you before, my mom, like her reaction to Trump was her memories of him in New York before I was born, where he was just a crappy real estate developer. Um, and she was, she's very anti-Trump and I get it now when I look through her lens, but he's by far, Yeah. If I had a two, if I had two thousand positions, I would definitely not hire two thousand positions. I, I would not be the one directly hiring those people. I would have a system to vet those people and get get those roles filled. Yeah. Um, well, and I think the first thing I would do I may is sign examine off. the people who were already in those roles, right? Yeah. Are they doing it? Is it okay? Is it broken? All right. <laughs> if it's not broken, we're good. Yeah. If it's something where I need to, I don't need to add additional oversight to it. Because hopefully the reporting structure in the White House is in government is better than that. But I mean, if every restaurant I, I was in charge of, I had to replace everybody, I, I would never get any results. Right. <laughs> just you, it'd just you be can't like grow from that, right? Everything's not broken because it's it's actually functioning at some level. What things do we have to improve? Yeah. Um anyway. So that was, that was enough depressing shit. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I just, I just hope everybody has a long memory. Um, Fingers I know crossed. That, yeah. I, I definitely know I'm not voting for Trump in November and I will, I want to end the whole politics thing with this. I was part of the problem with Trump getting elected in the first place. And I look, I can say that because I didn't vote for Hillary either. <laughs> just neither one of them worked for me, but I, I just, I don't think I would vote for uh, Bernie Sanders either. But there's a lot of moderate Republicans, probably just like me, where if you're stuck in the middle of like, oh, crap, and oh, big crap, you're not going to vote. And I think that hopefully my my gut's telling me Joe Biden doesn't make a lot of moderates like me feel the same way as Hillary did. So I guess, does that... If it's Biden versus if it's Biden and Trump on the ticket in November, would not I'm I'm not trying to get you to say you'd vote for Biden, but I'm like I mean, would you feel comfortable as of right now? Like, would you would you do you feel like that's who you'd end up voting for? Or would you do you still abstain? Yeah. I'd vote for I'd vote for Biden. Okay. If it was Bernie, I would not vote. <laughs> I just I just couldn't do it. I would feel like it's like Hillary 2.0 if I'm being honest. Like that was my honest reaction to Bernie Sanders. I'm like, oh, please drop out because I just, I can't. 
I couldn't. Yeah. No. I'm not surprised that you wouldn't vote for Bernie. Um, and I, I guess like, I'm not surprised that you would vote for Biden as opposed to voting for Bernie. Um, I just, I, I guess I wonder if there are that many moderate Republicans out there that feel the same way about Biden, you know, or if his association with Obama and the whole, I mean, just because I mean, he's fairly well entrenched at the, in the DNC that, you know, if that, if that scares enough people away, I mean, cause I, I I'm with you that I think ultimately there's going to be a good number of people who choose not to vote again. And so then what it really boils down to is which candidate can bring out the most voters in the right areas. And I think we saw four years ago that that was Trump. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not convinced that there's enough people that have kind of come off of the Trump train so far. Cause I, I haven't seen it. I've seen a, a handful of them, but I just haven't seen as many as I would have thought after four years of this crap. So I, I can tell you as somebody that's not like right wing, um, Hillary Clinton, like I didn't trust her and I didn't really, the more I, I found out about Donald, I mean, about president Trump and that was entertaining in some lights. I'm like, yeah, well, he's, he literally just said what he was thinking. But when you start to think about what does that look like in office? I was really turned off. Yeah. And um, I, I think there's a lot of people like Trump didn't win the popular vote. You know, right? Uh, and he won rule. He won rule America. Yes. Where he's done nothing. Like he's done nothing for people outside of, or inside of the Midwest, or inside of that that particular demographic. So I think a lot of the shine for him is is rubbed off when it comes, not just college educated or somewhat educated people, but even with like uh, poor people. I'm not going to say working class because a lot of these people are poor. Um, so, and then when you look at the working, like the, the, the working class, the literal working class, not middle class, but not poor, but people that are working, you know, at a retail job and that's their, 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 their shtick, but you know, for whatever reason, their income falls at whatever level they're poor in the working class. So I, I don't think he's done a lot for them to, to kind of garner their vote right now. Um, yeah. I, I that, guess I still that, just I have this inherent fear that people that people aren't that people aren't smart enough to look at that stuff that ultimately they just they watch the news clips and the press briefings and they take what they want or they listen to their favorite news channel and kind of just do whatever they say and I you know I would love you have to remember, for America you have to, remember to prove me wrong <laughs> yeah dude there was a lot of closet Trump voters last election yeah. If if you were being honest, there was a lot of closet Trump voters, and they were not probably going out telling people they were going to vote for Trump, but they went out and voted for Trump. Well, and I so, guess like that, but that's what I'm saying is I feel like that could be an even larger group this time. I, I maybe I mean maybe I'm wrong, yeah, right? The, but I, I just I feel like I, there could be a large a large number of people who kind of behind the scenes are going. You know, well, yeah, he's obviously done all of these things that are terrible. But, you know, if I ever make a billion dollars, I'm going to have really good tax rate on it. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. If, if yeah. But that's right. part of his whole deal. I mean, if if we're being honest, right? That's part of the whole sell on on a lot of that stuff. Is it's like, well, you know, someday this could be you, and w- would you want to, you know, have to pay fifty percent tax on this? And you know, people, oh, I would. If they took half my money, I'd be, you know, furious. It's like, yeah, but what are the chances that you're going to end up in that position long term, anyways? But sorry. Just... So here, here's the worst thing that could have happened to Donald Trump while he was in office. They keep making documentaries about Donald Trump. I mean, for, probably for as many people that have watched Tiger King, there are probably just that many that have watched the Donald Trump documentary on Netflix. And they probably watched the Dirty Money Con- Confidence Man, uh, which is actually talking about Donald Trump. And then there's another one um, that talks about Jared Kushner. Yeah. There, there are things in play that is kind of like they weren't available prior to him getting elected. Um, So I would think a lot of those closet Trump voters probably, especially over the last 24 days, have watched those documentaries. Um, I mean, you know, and I really do. I hope that a lot of people are paying attention to what's going on right now and the, you know, the rhetoric and the dialogue and the actual like response um, and take that into consideration when they go to vote. Because I think ultimately I have been, you know, just grossly underwhelmed um by what the administration has tried to do so far and again just the language that comes out of the press briefings and stuff like that i just you know the focus absolutely should not be on ratings right (laughs) around your press briefing (laughs) because yesterday he showed a video of his accomplishments (laughs) It blew my mind. And I, that's, I, that's just where, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. Right. How, how can, how can people still support somebody like that? You know, um, I look at it as the, you know, we talked about before when you, you mentioned somebody that's racist that you kind of like, right. It's the same thing. You're defending your own personal views. You're not defending Trump. You're defending the fact that I'm not a racist. You know, I don't think, Sam meant to say that. I don't think that was the right context. I mean, that's that's the same. It's the same exact behaviors. It's not that people are probably wholly supporting Donald Trump. It's just that they probably voted for him. And they probably thought that he was a rational person at some point, And they don't want to be seen as irrational. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I... You know, I, I agree that that's, I think that does play a fairly significant role in people's decision making, right? Or at least the, the way that they kind of come or are public about it. But, you know, I mean, I, I think I've talked about it on here. Like I was kind of, I mean, in a sense, like born Republican and voted Republican in the, my first couple of elections, um, you know, voted for George W. Bush the second time, not the first um, but I have absolutely no problem going back and being like, yeah, I would probably not do that again, you know? Um, or at least I, I would put a lot more thought into my vote than I did at age 19. Um, sports. so yeah, I just, uh, you know, but I think it's interesting or maybe this is just a good way to kind of segue, um, off of politics since I know we saw wanted to stop talking about that to some degree, although we spent another 20 minutes on it. Um, I know. So 
<laughs> you were talking about you know defending people and um i don't know if you saw so with everything that's been going on with the pandemic right obviously all the sports leagues have shut down and nascar um in an attempt to kind of i think maintain some level of engagement and probably as a way of telling their sponsors you know well look we are fulfilling our deal to you and so we're going to keep your billions of dollars uh they've taken up doing some iRacing, you know, virtual racing simulator sessions with the professional drivers in their homes, obviously connected, because most of these guys have these, you know, virtual racing setups where they can do practice on the tracks and stuff like that. Um, For those of you that don't know, iRacing is a super cool software where they go out and laser map these tracks uh, and then use that data to create, to recreate them in the video game. So it's as real as you basically can get, um, which is pretty cool. But uh, so couple of different things have happened. They had an incident, uh, I think a, a week ago where they, they were doing a race at, in Bristol and they had one of the racers, Bubba Wallace got wrecked, um, pretty intentionally by one of the other drivers. And he just, he rage quit. He, he yeah, 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 that guy. I yeah. heard about that. So he just shut the, the game off and was like, this is why I don't take this shit seriously. Um, you know, and I think looking back on it, you can totally understand that, right? Like the guy that wrecked him, if that was a real race, that's a million dollar race car, right? right? In in the video game, that doesn't cost him anything. Like, whoa, I lost an I race, right? And so he lost sponsors. Bubba Wallace lost sponsorship over that um, because one of his sponsors was like, we want racers, not quitters or something. And it's like, you know, I kind of see both sides of that. More recently, I think this past weekend, um, Kyle Larson, who was part of NASCAR's um, like – you know, driving towards diversity program or something like that. I think he's a, he's half, uh, half Chinese, half English, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's doing an iRacing game and they're broadcasting their conversation on Twitch and dude drops the N word. <laughs> and like everybody else is like, um, Kyle, you're talking to everybody. And he's, uh, so then he came out and published a, you know, a video apology on, I think it was, I saw it on Twitter, but he may have posted it somewhere else first. And it was really interesting to see the comment section <laughs> because I mean, you know, I'm not here to, to really cast judgment in terms of whether or not his, his apology was legitimate. Um, I think a lot of people seem to feel because in his apology, he said, you know, that's not a word that I've ever used or that I use regularly. Um, <laughs> and I think some people in the comments had a good point where it's like, well, if that's not a word that you never ever use, then why did you use it there? You know, like <laughs> it sure seemed to come out pretty naturally. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just. Um, so in what I mean, <laughs> Not to forgive the guy, but in what context did he, he drop the end bomb? Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Because it was he was he, he was talking to he was trying to talk to one of the other drivers, I think, and said something to the effect like, "Can you hear me?" Um, but from <laughs> but so and I haven't heard it right. Um, oh, he got fired. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> let's 
see if I can find the specific, if they have the quote in here or not. Um, I mean, I'm not excusing the dude for doing that, but. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was also, it was a hard R, just to be clear. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was like. Because that was, was the it? other thing was like, people were like, uh, yeah, just to be clear, I because some, somebody made, you know, made a comment where it's like, oh, yeah, let's all get on, on his case about it, but it's okay to be in, you know, every pop song and you know rap lyric these days and, so, and someone came back and was like when have you ever heard the hard r <laughs> a rap song you know that is such a i mean all right that is such a controversial thing like you know i i have once too partaken in the n-word <laughs> um eh. I don't do it a lot or not like currently I don't do it at all. Well, I don't do it a lot. I mean, but it's just like, it's a word, right? It's a word for my culture that is okay to use. Right. I don't expect other people to drop the in-bomb. And I actually, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's personal. I don't think it's okay. If you're not black and you're running around saying, you know, yeah. my beep, you know, I bet, yo, my man, reel that back in. <laughs> I do know. I do know white people. I do know Hispanic people that are from the neighborhoods and they have a pass. Sure. And they do it. I mean, but think- even then, right. It's, it's a pass within a certain group. It's not like, I mean, you know, it's not like you have a, you know, a get out of jail free card. Fat, that you Joe carry with you, right? Fat Joe is Puerto Rican. He's not even black. Right. And my dude gets by with saying it all the time. Okay, and that's uh, like, Fat Joe, I guess. Like, uh, I, I okay. no, I, I was thinking like not not famous people. Like, but, no, but I'm but I'm saying like that. There are some people like that could be in that. Sure. That I know, I know Dominicans, I know Puerto Ricans, I know freaking kids from like Peruvians that come from neighborhoods like my own, and it's like you don't even look twice when they say it. Yeah. Because they're part of our culture. They're part of our neighborhood. So I get why people like white kids are like, why? But you say it in a rap song. Like I can drive down and carry and like in the summertime and see some white kids in a convertible. And I'm always waiting. I'm like, oh, yeah. I know that's song. I want to see what happens. And there, one kid will always look at me and I'm looking right back at him. I'm like, is he going to drop it? Is he going to drop it? And they was, they're all looking at me. Right. And I'm like, all right, cool. You're not going to say it. But I know what happens. I don't really have um I don't really have a dog in that fight. I don't I don't do it in front of me, right. but I know white people say it. Well, and that's again, right? Like I think that's a I think your example is a good example for multiple reasons. One, right, in that specific situation, you are in a public space, right? Right. Where everybody can hear you. <laughs> So I guess like compared to if, if they were not in a convertible and the music wasn't blasting and they were just kind of like sitting there singing along and you didn't know what song it was. Right. And you didn't hear anything, then it wouldn't really matter what they said. Right. Or if they said it. Um, and I think like, that's the way that I've always kind of looked at it. Right. If, if I'm in the car by myself and I'm singing along to a song, like most of the time I'm probably just going to sing the words. Right. But if, if somebody else is in the car with me or if I've got the windows down, like that's a different situation. And I don't say that. Like, I just, I don't, I guess. What I, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's not that difficult. 
to understand that. That's where I think like, that's the other thing that just really frustrates me sometimes is this people are so incapable of getting that through their heads, right? That it's like, well, if someone else can say it, then I should be able to say it. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Like, I just, that's not the way it works, right? There's, there is a lot of history and specific connotations with that word. And you can't just pretend like that doesn't exist. And again, like, I just don't, it's not like, it's not like you need that word, right? Like, what, what do you need it for? Why, why do you need to say it? It's cultural appropriation. If I'm being honest, I look at that, you know, people's desire to want to use that word. It's like, yo, like hip hop, that culture, it's, if I'm being honest, it's not for white people. If I'm, you know, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's not for white people. Yeah. It's the fact that, you know, it's become a commercialized thing and people want to, you know, feel a part of that. If I'm being honest, it kind of bothers me. Like I can, you can be, be a fan of the music, but don't try to like, you're not part of the culture. Right. And so that's- like, I, I, rock, I rock with a lot of Hispanics and I eat a lot of rice and beans, but I don't try to appropriate their culture. Yeah. Like I just don't. I'm still the black kid. Like it's like, all right, whatever, you know, but I dig a lot of things they do, but I don't try to appropriate the culture. I just, I just think it's, I think hip hop has become, you know, it's, it's so big that people want to be a part of it. It's like, you, you can enjoy it, but you can't act like you're, that's not who you are. You know? Well, and that's because what I think it really boils down to, right. Um, it's just being authentic, right. Like being yeah. who you actually are. Like, you know, you talk about culture, culture, I think in a lot of ways, as you kind of said, right. It's not necessarily the color of your skin. It's, it's the neighborhood you grew up in, right. It's your experience it's that shared experience that ultimately defines the culture of a group. And so it's, yeah, I just, it's not necessarily that, you know, cause I think like, for example, right. You love salsa music and salsa dancing. Not that that's, you know, and really like cultural appropriation, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you grew up in that neighborhood where that was part of that. And so ultimately like, right. you know, like you have an authentic connection to that. And, and, where I think like uh, where I start to have issues is where people are doing that without that authenticity. And it's like, they want so badly to be part of that. And I can like, to some degree, right. Like you said, you uh, appreciate the music, but you don't have to appropriate the culture. Right. If that, yeah. No, that's, that's 100. It's just like, you know, like, and I, I get it. It's I'm, I've my kids always tell me, you know, white white people have no culture. I'm like, that's not entirely true. It's just they don't have anything like that's really cool right now. I mean, it's but it's if you look at like uh Elvis, for example, I used to think Elvis when I was younger, I used to think Elvis was cool, you know. You know, the only reason why was because he played some really bluesy music. When I started this is as a kid. When I started to do more research on the guy, I'm like, yo, he stole all that. <laughs> like, he, he stole everything, you know, um, Buddy Rich, like one of the best drummers on the planet. But he copied a lot of drummers that played jazz. But he used to be like one of the most popular drummers. When I started learning how to play drums, people would always refer to him. 
But when you actually look at who was doing stuff that he was popular for, it wasn't him. Um, it was the white guy that played Buddy. Who's the guy? Not Buddy Holly, the uh, white kid that played the guitar that copied uh, uh, Barry's guitar style. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, one of the Phoenixes, did a movie about no, 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 no. Johnny Cash. That's the uh, John Johnny Cash. But there's another guy back in the fifties and sixties, super popular for playing out of that cult. I mean, like, like currently, I'm not. That sounds really weird when I say it, but you guys had skateboarding. We let you, <laughs> we let you have that. Like, you know, you didn't see black people trying to cop skateboards. It wasn't like. You know, we there's some things that your culture does that we just don't want any part of. Yeah, no, I mean you're not wrong. You know, like uh, Limp Biscuit, up. right? Sounds... I mean, you guys, you guys didn't want anything to do with Limp Biscuit. Um, although that was really that was just appropriating yeah culture, you know, and then you know bastardizing the hell out of it. Um, yeah, so just I think in general, right? Let's stop appropriating culture. Uh, you can appreciate it without appropriating it. Is really like the underlying message, right? Yeah, I mean, and and I like you know, I don't want to sound racist because I'm not. Um, I do think, but I don't. I don't think they should come at the the harm or the detriment of another person. You know, um, and I get the whole inward conspiracy. I mean, that whole like controversy. Oh, it's this on the planet. He's never dropped the inward on a on an album now he may drop it in private i don't know but he doesn't have to it's just like yo you're dope <laughs> let's move on um, cut out there for a second are you talking about eminem yeah okay every like he's the best lyricist on the planet but he never has dropped the n-word in a song right he may use it in private nobody knows but if he did that's on you know that's that's on him but he's part of our culture uh and there's some Lord Jamal, who said that he's a guest in the house of hip hop. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go on a personal rant. My my dude is like the best lyricist on the planet. Now, granted, some of his topics may be a little bit out there, but nobody has put the that ability to to rhyming ever. Even Jay hasn't done it. Like, I'm sorry. Like he's I don't think he if he's a guest in the house of hip hop, he's got like uh He's got rent control because dude ain't going nowhere. <laughs> he got put up in the uh, the penthouse suite. Uh, yeah, in that. <laughs> what a pretty thing. Yeah, I think when Eminem first came out uh, and started becoming popular, it seemed like there were a lot of people who felt like, "Oh, this guy's just stealing," you know, or appropriating rap culture. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is just that he stayed around long enough and proved that he was good enough that he be, he became accepted into that by so many members of, you know, that community um, that it, then it was kind of hard for everybody else to deny him anymore. Right. I, I think that with hip hop, like the, here's the thing about any hip hop artist, except for, well, even the current ones here kind of, in my opinion, garbage. I shouldn't say that. I just. It's just not a, a big fan of current hip-hop. If somebody can fact-check you and everything you're saying is garbage, then you should probably stop rhyming. I think with NM, you could fact-check him all day. He did grow up in Detroit. He did, you know, he grew up, like, broke. And his his experience 
came through in his music. And you may not like the topics he's talking about, but I mean, you couldn't deny the fact that what he was saying was legitimate. Um, so that's why when people talk bad about him, I'm like, first of all, I don't have to defend him. He's not my child, but <laughs> the guy's talent speaks for itself. So. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, man. Let's talk about technology. So I, I know I have opinions on just about everything, but um, I was thinking about static websites. And for those of you that don't know, like most of the internet is, is built on WordPress. And it's a great product. Uh, we work for a company that thought that they could build something better than WordPress. They are sadly mistaken. I think WordPress is awesome. WordPress is cool. But I think there's a lot of times where all you really need is just HTML. And I think that static sites are probably going to be the new future of website design. And I think that there's a lot of projects out there that are making it easier to, for people to use. And that was some of the appeal of WordPress. Um, it, the downside to WordPress is getting it to be fast when it loads. And especially since Google is trying to uh, target our sites mobile friendly first, while PHP is inherently slow um, and trying to get something that is user friendly and fast is going to be difficult for WordPress to accomplish. But I do think static sites are going to be the, the new thing. Um, so is part of it just like, you know, just the general cyclical nature of that kind of thing, you know, where it's like, cause I feel like static sites were what were kind of original, right? I mean, all sites yeah. were essentially what think, just, Chris? what's that? <laughs> I only got like all sites are essentially. Oh. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. Internet and not cooperating properly here. Um, I guess I just trying to understand if that's like, if that's just a general cyclicality, like, will it go back to being dynamic eventually? Is it just, you know, like that kind of like, well, everybody moves to dynamic. And so now it's more of, you know, get away from dynamic and move back to, you know, speed is essential. And then eventually it'll be like, well, no, now we have to be dynamic again. And so I just, you know, kind of wonder, like, are we just going to seesaw back and forth? Or do you think that there's a particular reason that like static sites are going to be more permanent going forward? Yeah, because the only thing you need to be dynamic is the ability to retrieve or get the content and display it. Um, and then some interactivity. But for the most part, you can actually, through a static site, get the dynamic content you need. You're not writing it in real time. You're writing it at a certain point, and you just need it to display in a certain way. So that's the, that's the real dynamic thing that people associate with WordPress, is that I write this article or this blog post and retrieve it from the database. That's dynamic. The reality that that's not really dynamic. It's just it's a CRUD operation: create, uh, update, delete, retrieve. So it's not uh, it's not like a, a interactive form where it's doing validation or something. And even now with validation, you can do that in HTML. Right. So the interactivity that we're looking for now in the dynamic parts, they're it's really just one part of it, basically. It's not the whole thing. Uh, I can simulate getting the article or getting the content. Well, it's, 
it's the same as simulation. It's doing the same feature, the same functionality of actually just getting said content and displaying said content on the screen. Because back in the day, you had to write every page, right. like literally every page, and then put a link into it. Well, now you technically don't. And you probably didn't even then. It's just that we've gotten smarter with the technology to, you're still going to have to write the content, displaying it in a certain unique way. More automated was actually the desired outcome that we're looking for well and so i think you know what you really end up with now right in terms of your quote-unquote dynamic you know pages is you have those those files right you have a header you have a head footer all of those pieces that kind of that load right on every page or the pages that you specify in order to set a certain you know template and then it's just generating the content and filling everything in from that point um, which is really not that different from what you would do with a WordPress site as it is, right? Like you, you would go in and set these things and then, I mean, yeah, like the data fetching, I guess is ever so slightly different, but I guess like part, one of my questions and correct me if I'm wrong, but with PHP, part of the reason that it's slow is because the browser is doing some of the thinking, right. In terms of going and fetching. Yeah. And so that's then I guess one of my questions is, is part of that just the inherent, like, you know, uh, fault of PHP? And is there another technology or programming language out there that could be used in place that would still allow that type of like semi-dynamic, you know, loading of content from a database without having to do all of that loading in the browser? Um yeah, just a plain text file <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you think about it when you introduce like <laughs> <laughs> when you introduce a database, when you introduce like a like a browser, like naturally you just had to read HTML, right? right? And you, it can of course read PHP, but you're telling you know, you're telling the server, hey, when the browser asks for this. I want you to go into the database, get this information and display it as HTML. That's all you're, you're cutting out the middleman. Um, a browser can natively read you know, JavaScript, a browser can natively read CSS. So I think in reality, all you need to do in every folder you have is the page. Basically you're putting the pages in a folder on your server or location. So the, yes, just, just send it as a plain text file. It's just, that's the only way to get the speed you're looking for. So I guess um, another question that I'd have then is, do you think that with this move towards static sites that there will be less use of JavaScript? Because I think JavaScript's another, you know, thing that t tends to kind of bog down site speed um, and make things less, I don't know, maybe, maybe not so much anymore, less mobile friendly, but um, I think in some ways, right? Like, and I... I Again, I think you look at, in a lot of ways, people have been trying to use, right, JavaScript to load dynamic content. I mean, you look at stuff like Angular, right, or AngularJS, um, where you're kind of taking all of that, you're still doing a lot of the templating, but, I mean, that stuff gets really ugly after a while when you start messing with that, as you and I both well know. Yeah, and I, and you know, I'm not a big fan of JavaScript. I'm not really a big fan of frameworks, um, but I do think that plain JavaScript is actually useful. So, when 
when you build a framework to build a framework, because let, let me separate the two. A package framework like Angular is becoming less and less needed in current or current web technologies. Vanilla or plain JavaScript is actually becoming more uh, more usable in every day. And in one of my current projects, I'm using JavaScript, but just for things that you know, like for for a post request for some AJAX functionality or whatever. I'm not using like thousands of lines of JavaScript to do things that I really don't need JavaScript for. It's, it's kind of, if you just let JavaScript be JavaScript, it's more plug and play and it's more usable. When you try to create an entire uh, substitute for like, like for example, node, you're just waste, in my opinion, you're wasting your time because you're making, you're trying to replace an, a, a web server with a node server. Well, the, node server still needs a web server to do all the functionality. Right. Um, so that's just a, you know, it's just extra complications of whatever the project is. Well, I think, you know, probably another issue on the JavaScript side that I know you feel very strongly about uh, this is the libraries, right? Like you've got oh. billions probably at this point of different JavaScript libraries out there. And what you end up with, I think in a lot of cases, right, is these legacy libraries that get loaded that are not getting used or getting used for very small, minute parts of a site. And you're loading the entire freaking library just to do that. Right. Right. And that's, that's just a waste of time. Cause I think that's up there but with like the, you know, you talk about like the prepackaged frameworks, like an angular, right. It's, it's very similar. And it's like, well, here's everything you would need for this specific, you know, this very broad use case. So just load it all because you never know what you might want. And we talk about efficiency, right? Like there's no way in hell that that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, um, I appreciate the effort. I just don't appreciate the execution. It's like, all right. Um, and I'm not like a JavaScript expert. I, and I don't want to, I don't want to piss all over, you know, people that do the hard work of making these libraries. I, I really do appreciate it because when they're used and they're used properly, they're useful. But right. I think it's a lot more, uh, your code can be a lot cleaner if you understand vanilla or plain JavaScript and you just implement that, that piece of functionality. Now I'm not opposed to making my, if there are a couple of things I do over and over again, I may make my own library. And that's exactly and, what I was just going to say was like, you know, I can totally understand where people for their own specific purposes, right. Or maybe even, and that's where, again, right. Like the proper use of those libraries, but what you end up with is this bastardization of it where, you know, it's intended for right. this particular use and someone goes, well, I can kind of jerry rig it to do this other thing too. If I use these functions in this certain way, and then you just, it gets so complicated and convoluted or right. Like you, like we were just talking about, you load an entire library to use this one function. And it's like, why wouldn't you just strip that out and have that be the one thing that you're going to load? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I can, the way I, I write software and write programs is a little bit, it's really simple. It's like, what, first I think about what do I want it to do? And then I think about the steps that programmatically need to happen so that way I can move on. I rarely look for a library to do something because that's just a big waste of time. It's if you know the language you're using and you understand the core functionality, you can of course get that core functionality to show up wherever it needs to. Uh, and I, I often think back to Dwight, like I, it took me a while to, th to think of how am I going to write this? 
you know, and I was very opposed to using libraries. I was like, I don't want to use that because I don't want to be dependent on it. I don't want, I want to write it plain so that way if it, you know, it grows or if I need to plug it somewhere else, I can plug it somewhere else. Right. Inside of that program, I would write modules so that way, you know, I could add in place and take out if I needed to or update one thing without having to update the whole thing. So for me, that's kind of how I approach it. And it works. It's just like, I don't understand why people want to make things so complicated. Well, because I think ultimately, you know, while the end result was less complicated and more functional, it, it took a lot of careful thought and execution on your part. Right. And I mean, I remember we even had, what was it like a four or six month, like basically essentially like a code freeze or a quarter long code freeze because we were just trying to go back and take all of these because, you know, along the way, right, with any software development, you're going to have deadlines where maybe you take a shortcut that you sh- kind of shouldn't have, right? And you pigeonhole yourself into uh, into a space. And so then it's you have to take that time to kind of walk yourself back out. Um, right. And so even with that, right, like, but, but we had to take the time to do that in order to make sure that we were maintaining what we had initially set out to do, which was to keep it as modular as possible. Um and so I think that's what it really boils down to is that and we've talked about this before people are kind of inherently lazy and selfish. Right. And so for them, it's like, well, this is the easiest path between a and B right. Is to take this mountain that somebody else already built. <laughs> I could dig a tunnel <laughs> underneath it to get there myself because I don't need to get to what's on top of the mountain, but somebody else already wrote, you know, built a bridge or a, a road that goes over the top of this mountain. So I'm just going to go that way instead. Yeah, my advice to anybody that wants to, you know, that's looking at um, software development is really take the time. One thing that I always, I get stuck on is like, I don't get a visual understanding of the software before I write it. And I've, I've learned after now one, two, three projects I've done that I have to commit to that <laughs> because if I don't, I have a big headache. Um but realistically, like map it out or what I like to call just sketch it out. Like think about the functionality that you want and think about the most efficient way to get there. And you'll be able to write the, the right code. The last product I did, and this is where this idea really got nailed into my head. I will never, ever, ever, ever create a project or write a line of code before I can visually see what it's going to look like because you forget things, you know? Um, so, you know, piece of paper, pen, whatever. I've actually gotten pretty good with like uh, Inkscape and GIMP to where I can kind of visualize what I want to see happen because it helps you to kind of like write the code the right way. Um, and then secondly, test. Like I'm not, I wasn't, I was getting on the test-driven development bandwagon, but then I jumped off <laughs> because I think that you should do like write the functions first. Like if you're doing a prototype, create that and then go back and build your test suite. Because if you spend all day writing tests, you're never going to write the software. Um, well, and then you end up in these situations so yeah, where you have people who write a test that is easily passable by the software they're intending to write in the end anyways. Right. And so it's like, what, what was really the point of that? Or they build in like, you know, well, when it does this, just let it do that. And it's like, oh, okay. So you're not right. really testing it. 
I, I, I <laughs> one thing that cracks me up when it comes to testing, I knew a guy <laughs> that literally wrote uh, like hours upon hours of tests, but his code didn't work. I was like, what are you, you wasted a lot of time writing all these tests, but you didn't, you never once encapsulated the actual functionality of the software. Well, and wasn't like, it one of those things where it was like, it passed the test? Right. But it didn't work when we actually put it into function. <laughs> so it was like, so again, right. What is the point of writing a test that your software is ultimately going to pass? If it does, if the test isn't, does it actually work? Right. Like, does it do what it's supposed to do? And you're right. Like, yeah. I remember that specifically. We got like, they got the response that they were looking for from the test and we're like, well, see, it's working. And if I if I recall, it was months that that thing was basically sitting out in the wild, <laughs> supposedly doing its job, and we kind of kept looking, sitting there, going, "This doesn't seem right. It's not processing as many things as it should be in a given time period." And it wasn't until like three months later that you finally were able to dig into it and find out that, oh yeah, no, this thing hasn't been working the whole time because you didn't actually encapsulate the function that you wanted it to do. <laughs> It cracks me up, and I don't like being the smartest guy in the room, but I, I do like I do hold my nose up at people that if you if you're willing to die on the hill of theory, God bless you. I will let you die by yourself. I'm I'm not a fan of dying on the hill. There there's theory and application, and if you're not, if you're poor at application and execution then you're not going to be good at anything you you think you're good at. And if you can tell me all the theory you want, but if you can't apply it, go die on that hill by yourself. I am not willing to die on that hill with you. But that was, you're right. It, it was like three or four months. Oh gosh. Good times. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they were. Well, I mean, ultimately they were, because if it weren't for those times, then we wouldn't be sitting here right now having this conversation. So. Yeah, you're right. And I, I just think it's, it's, yeah. And so I'm going to, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this. I once had a performance review where uh, the person that gave it to me told me something like, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, I made, I made people feel stupid when they asked me questions. And I was like, well, they must have felt that way before they asked me the question because I can't make somebody feel stupid. But I also realized that I always teeter between arrogance and confidence. And I didn't know how to kind of reel myself back into a place where I was approachable. So I've for years now, probably at least 13 years, I've been working on understanding the difference in my personality where I have to not be arrogant, but I can't not display a level of confidence, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me sometimes because I, I want to actually just get to the next thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on non-productive things, but yeah, I've, I work on, I continue to work on that. Like I struggle with, um, I don't know. The line gets blurry for me. Does that make sense, Chris? Like, I, well, yeah, because I, you know, I think it's just like anything, right? There, there is a certain level of stupidity that you encounter in everyday life, right? Whether that's somebody that you work with, or and it may not be that they're always that dumb. They just have that moment, right? And to some degree, like, yeah, I mean, I, 
I do it with my kid where <laughs> she did something the other day. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but she did something. She hurt herself. And I just kind of was like, well, what were you doing when you hurt yourself? And she was like, I was jumping on the bed. And I was like, and what have we talked about? Not to jump on the bed. Okay. Do you understand why I have absolutely no sympathy for you? Well, I feel kind of dumb now. I was like, yeah, you should. Like, that's a dumb thing to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like there's the, you know, obviously C6, um, but it's, I, I mean, I think, you know, I say that, but it's not like that's how I respond to people. Right. <laughs> yeah because you have a filter i don't well that's (laughs) i mean that is for whatever reason that that i do have that like i mean the number of times that i would be sitting at my desk and have a couple of specific people that i can think of come over and ask me questions and the thought running through my head is very different than the words coming out of my mouth um right and i but i i don't know i just i you know if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Was how it's always right. That's true. To be fair, I do have a I, I do have a uh, contextual filter. Like the time that one kid came in and said, "Hey, I want to show you something." I'm like, "Well, I'm like, okay, it might be racist." I'm like, then "You don't want to show me." And then he, he proceeds to show me something that was obviously racist, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "My dude, you got to go." He's like, well, what are you mad at me? I'm like, look, you just got to go. And he said something else. And I just remember saying, look, if I was mad at you, if I react on how I was feeling, you probably wouldn't be standing up right now. Yeah. So I just seemed you to step away from me and let, let, yes. let this run. You absolutely do have a contextual filter. Like, I, I mean, you're, you don't, <laughs> you know, you don't fly off the handle at everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, trust me, like I, there was certainly some level of that that I felt you know, when we first met and started working together, cause there were certain things that I'd ask and you just kind of, like, you don't know how to do that. Um, it wasn't even, or not even necessarily like you don't know how to do that, but like, you're not doing that already. Like how have you been surviving this all this time? And you know, part of me would sit there and go, wow, yeah, that is pretty stupid that I've been doing it. But then it's like, okay, cool. He's here to help me fix that. Like, Right. So why, I, I don't know. I think part of it is people need to stop worrying about their own feelings and their own pride as much and focus more on like, just get your shit done. You know, that's, I, that should be just the motto I think for the Chris and Andre show is just get your shit done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want, I don't want you to ask for, you know, recognition or anything. If I, you know, ultimately like if you've done what you were supposed to do, a, you're going to feel good about it because you did what you were supposed to do and B, somebody will recognize it. Right. Like, even if they don't, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's like the stupid empty thank yous people would give me. I'm like, don't, please don't thank me for doing my job because it means means absolutely nothing. Like it, I, Andre would repeatedly get mad at me because I would stand up in front of the entire company and thank him for doing something that while it may have technically fallen into his job description, he typically did it in a way or did something that required him to go above and beyond what would normally be expected of somebody in that role. So God forbid that I appreciate him for it in front of other people. (laughs) Or maybe just the standard for everybody else was too damn low, if I'm being honest. Oh man. 
Apparently, it's there been was hours a, uh, since we've there, been talking there was a project to my that, six-year-old uh, daughter. I'll tell your daughter that the internet has not participated very well. I uh, just want to share his last story. Then we'll... just, we're almost done. Um, <laughs> there was this one time that uh, there was the, the ad project where we kind of went in like full bore. We didn't really have a, a desired outcome, but I spent like, it seemed like two weeks or uh an entire week trying to get something to work that wasn't going to work or wasn't naturally supposed to work with those ads. And I remember just like feeling like, wow, this is so poorly planned. And even when like you guys were like, Oh, that's awesome that you got it done. I kept going back to make sure it was still working because I just thought in my mind, like, why didn't we think about what we were ripping apart before we added something else in there and breaking everything? Um, and I didn't complain. I mean, I worked at night. I worked over the weekend. Like, and I didn't complain. It's just like, if you take responsibility to do something, just get it done. It sucks. I don't. I don't know whose idea this was, but they should not be allowed to come up with ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Having a good work ethic is something that people should. I mean, and I think you, you touched on it too. Like, anyway, I think it, ladies and gentlemen, we like to thank you for hanging out. With us. <laughs> the internet just messed us yeah, up. Yeah, it did. Big time. <laughs> Go ahead. No. Um, Go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, yeah. So last thing I was going to say was just that I think what it really boils down to is you touched on it, it's responsibility. You know, like people have to be willing to take responsibility for their actions and for the things that they, you know, are, are supposed to do. And if more people did that and, and then I think we'd be in a better spot, but I just don't think we see enough of that right now. So we'd like to thank everybody for hanging out with us and uh, we're going to keep doing this because we enjoy doing it. Uh, we hope that everybody's staying safe out there uh, with the stay at home orders if you're in one of the smart 42 states that are doing that. And once again, I'm Andre. I'm Chris. And we'll talk to you guys soon. You know, they say a paternity test is the worst kind of pop quiz.